Well, hey, good morning, and I uh, hope you're having a good morning today. It's good again to be with you. I wonder, how'd you do encouraging someone earlier this morning? Just a reminder, if you haven't done that yet, uh, you can do that even now while we're going or, or later today or this week. But let's continue to encourage one another through these days. You know, uh, one of the things that's encouraging to me is just the fact that we can get together and meet like this. Even though we're not in the same building, uh, we can still gather together and, and meet together and encourage one another. And I'm just so grateful for you. You know, um, some have asked when we're going to get to meet in person again together. And the reality is, the short answer is, I have no idea. I have no idea. But we anticipate as we get closer to that day, it's probably going to be a slow ramp up to letting people gather in bigger groups, you know, like uh, kind of like they wound down from 250 to 50 to 10 to stay at home. And uh, my guess is it's going to be the opposite of that as we come back. And so one of the things we've been talking about, just to give you a little bit of a heads up, is that once they lift that order to 50 people, now one of the things we're thinking is we're just going to encourage life groups to get together and watch the live stream uh, from their home. And so if, if you're in a life group, you might be thinking about that. And if you're willing to, to get together with people at that point, we'd love for you to. If you're not in a life group yet, this is a great time. It's going to be a great time for you to get connected in one. Or if you're brand new, man, I'm so excited that you've been connecting with us in these days and I uh, can't wait to meet you in person. But maybe one of the great first steps for you is we could get you plugged into a life group when we get ready to make that, that move. And if you would just uh, click that connect with us button, fill out a connect card, uh, we can get your info. Let us know you're interested in a life group. And then that way, when we get closer to that day, uh, we'll have your info and we'll be ready to plug you in. You know, um, we're in a new series that we started last week called Uncertain Certainty. And much of life is uncertain right now, like when we're going to get to meet together again. That's totally uncertain and up in the air. And when things are uncertain, one of the things we said last week is that we need to hold on all the more tightly to Jesus, to that which is certain. And, and there's nothing and no one more certain than Jesus. He's unchanging. He's the same yesterday as he is today, as he will be tomorrow. And so we can hold tightly to him. So in this series, what we're doing is we're looking to Jesus because there's no one else in history who faced uncertainty uh, with more uh, humility, with more wisdom, um, with more resolve, with more calm than Jesus. And uh, so we're going to look to him during these days and what he says about uncertainty and how he deals with uncertainty. Today, we're going to be in Mark chapter 4. And uh, it's a place where Jesus and his disciples find themselves in a sudden, uncertain storm. You know, it's this storm that we're going to see comes up out of nowhere. And it's so intense that the disciples weren't sure if they were going to live through it. I wonder if you face storms like that. Ones that you're just not sure if you're ever going to make it through. Uh, maybe some type of crisis in your life, maybe an illness, maybe a quarantine that came up out of nowhere and everything gets shut down. Are you going to make it? You, you know, that's how the disciples were feeling in this point. It, for them, it's a physical storm, but, but really it teaches us about all the different storms of life. And uh, the, the type of storm they were in was one where everything seemed to be at risk. Can you relate? Where everything seems to be at risk. 
Well, I think you'll be able to, and we're going to dive into Mark chapter 4 together now. And uh, why don't you just read with me? We're going to start in verse 35. Verse 35, Mark writes, On that day when evening had come, uh, he, Jesus, said to them, Let us go across to the other side. Now, uh, let's just stop there for a second. On that day, well, what was that day like? It starts off with him facing accusations from religious leaders that, that he was in league with Satan. And then his family shows up. And it, we read in verse prior to that that they were coming so that they could seize him because they thought that Jesus had lost his mind. In other words, they were going to, as a family, they were going to do a little intervention. Jesus, you've taken this whole church thing a little too far. Why don't you come with us? Let's go back home and rethink all of this. And, and they do. They show up at the door of the house where he's teaching. And, and then the next thing we read and we get to chapter four is that he was teaching from, from a boat just offshore. And he was teaching in parables and, and, and teaching things about the kingdom of God and uh, on this fishing boat anchored near the shore on the Sea of Galilee. And it was on this day then, when evening had come, at the end of that day, Jesus says, all right, let's go to the other side. Uh, you know, if he had gone back on shore at that point, the crowds would have continued to hound him. His only escape was to stay put and just head off into the lake. You know, I, I can relate to Jesus, and maybe you can too, after a long day and all the adrenaline it takes uh, to get through a day, of, especially of teaching, in his case, and of preaching God's word. And he was just, he was done. He had to get away. And so he says, let's go to the other side. Well, the other side was this place called the Decapolis. And the Decapolis is uh, the opposite side of the Sea of Galilee, which was, again, as I've said before, is a big lake. Here's the Sea of Galilee. Uh, Jesus would have been uh, right in this area in Capernaum. And he sails across the sea. Uh, he gets there in chapter 5 of Mark to the Decapolis. It's called the Decapolis because uh, Deca and uh, Polis means city. It's, there's 10 towns, 10 villages over on this side. And so leaving the crowd, it says the disciples took him, uh, took him with them in the boat just as he was. In other words, the, the way I understand this, Jesus was spent. He was exhausted. He was done. He'd had a long day. He'd faced opposition. He'd been teaching like crazy. He, he had taught in the synagogue. He had taught in town. He had taught in a house. He had taught on a boat. He's like the guy on green eggs and ham, right? Like in a boat, in a plane, everywhere he's teaching. And now he's exhausted. He, he was even confronted by his family. And then at the end of the day, he's just like, fellas, pack it up. It's time to go. I'm done. And then as they go off, Mark points out that other boats were with him. Man, even when Jesus tries to get away, he can't get away. It's impossible for him to get away. You know, Mark is the only one of the gospel writers to record this fact that other boats were with him. Uh, as, if you do a little research, you find out Josephus, he was a Jewish historian uh, uh, shortly after the time of Jesus. And he writes that uh, there were usually more than 300 fishing boats out on the Sea of Galilee at a time. So you can imagine uh, they, they head out and other boats were with him. There were other people out there fishing, others likely maybe hopping in boats to follow him across to the other side of the lake. Well, as he takes off, we read in verse 37 that a great 
windstorm arose. A great windstorm. Have you ever, you ever read this passage? See, because as you keep reading, you find out there's waves crashing into the boat and all this sort of stuff. And I wonder if you've ever read this and you thought, boy, uh, what are these guys doing? Why did they set sail? Why did Jesus say, let's cross to the other side when uh, maybe there were storm clouds on the horizon? Well, there might have been, but, but chances are there probably were no clouds when they took off. See, the Sea of Galilee is, is a pretty unusual body of water. As, as I mentioned, it's really just a big lake. It's about 12 miles long, six miles wide, but it's nearly 200 feet deep, and the shoreline is over 600 feet below sea level. It's really more of a big lake than a sea. In fact, in Luke's account, he says they took off for the other side of the lake, I mean, you can see right across it. I had the great privilege of being able to go there uh, about 13 years ago, and um, I was shocked at how small it is. But it's, it's below sea level, and it's surrounded uh, by hills and mountains. Uh, here's a few pictures even. There's the Sea of Galilee way below sea level, and all around it are, are these different hills and mountains. And, and one of those is Mount Arbel. This is Mount Arbel. And you'll see another picture here in a moment of a friend of mine I was with when we were there, and he's hiking. And uh, you get a picture as you look down towards the lake of just how small it is, but also how large some of these cliffs are and mountains and, and big, really big hills are surrounding it. Well, because of the topography there, what would happen, and especially uh, right here by Mount Arbel, is that, uh, and you can see it in this picture as well, kind of right through there, wind would just... Uh, come sweeping across the land, and then it would come up and over these cliffs and over the mountains, and it would create these downdrafts over the lake. And when you combined that with a thunderstorm that might suddenly appear over the surrounding mountains that maybe you wouldn't see as you set sail, when all of that gets combined, uh, some of the most ferocious storms uh, can stir that water, uh, and there's accounts even today of over 20-foot waves. Just out of nowhere, it can come up. And it's a good chance they never saw this one coming. Well, as it did come, the waves began to rise, and the waters got choppy, and it happened quickly. Now, remember, the disciples had had an incredibly long day as well as Jesus. They were just as exhausted as he was. And he's asleep uh, in, the, in the back of the boat. It says the waves were breaking into the boat. I mean, these waves were so big that the boat was already filling with water. This is a serious deal because th this boat is not that big. In fact, here's what it looked like. Uh, it would have looked something very similar to this. Right here on the, the right-hand side is a boat that they dug up, uh, that they excavated uh, on the shore of the Sea of Galilee near Capernaum. And it's often called now the Jesus boat because uh, that would have been the type of boat likely that he was in and the disciples were in at this time. You know, I don't know, some of you may know Jerry Nybert. Jerry uh, actually took the uh, picture of that boat and he created uh, a model for me of it. Well, today you can go to Israel and they have these tours on a boat like this. And this is actually anchored right now near Capernaum. And you can get a picture of just maybe you can see uh, the shoreline in the background of just how small the Sea of Galilee is. And Jesus' boat was not much smaller than that. It was not a large boat. 
It could hold 15 men. It was about 30 feet long, eight feet wide, five feet high. And it says in verse 38 that Jesus was in the stern of the boat, in other words, in the back, asleep on the cushion. See, at the back of the boat, there would have been this cushion where whoever was uh, steering the boat would have sat and kind of manned the rudder. And Jesus was wiped out. It had been a long day, and he's asleep in the back of the boat. Well, they woke him, and they said to him, Teacher, do you not care that we're perishing? You know, I don't think that's probably the way they said it, though, do you? Teacher, wake up! Don't you understand that we're perishing? Get up! Don't you care? That's what they're asking. Why are you sleeping? I wonder how long it took to wake him up. Probably as long as it takes to wake me up on a Sunday afternoon after preaching. Uh, he was spent. But, but look at him. Why don't you care? We're dying here. The boat is going down and you're asleep. Wake up, Jesus. Wake up. Have you ever said that to Jesus? Where are you? Why don't you care? Don't you see what's happening all around me? Don't you see the way my life is falling apart? Don't, don't you care about or see the storm that I'm in? I've said those things, have you? I've felt those things. Completely alone, wondering if Jesus really cared. The disciples were feeling those things right here. Um, but what's curious is that their words were really they were more of a criticism than they were a call for help, right? They, they woke him up. They, they said, don't you care that we're perishing? Why don't you care? One of the things that's really curious about Mark's gospel is the first time, this is only the second time that we see the, the disciples speaking in Mark's gospel. <coughs> the first time that they're speaking is in chapter one, and what we read there is that they were criticizing him. Jesus, in, in Mark chapter 1, he had had a long day that day as well, and he had gone out to a desolate place, and he was praying, and it says in verse 30, 36 and 37, uh, Simon and those who were with him, they searched for Jesus, and then they found him, and they said, where have you been? Everyone is looking for you. And then you get to chapter 4 here, and they're like, why don't you care that we're perishing? And they're criticizing him. And guess what? The next time we hear him speak is in chapter 5, and guess what they're doing? Yeah, they're criticizing him. Uh, how easy is it for us to complain and to criticize God for not coming to our aid? Do you do that? I, I do at times. I don't like to admit that, but I do. And rather than making my request to him and trusting him to answer, I just kind of spew it all out and I complain about him to him. And maybe it's not with words, but it's certainly in my spirit. How about you? Maybe you've had that over the last couple months. Maybe this week you hit the breaking point, and maybe this morning, I don't know. Maybe you will this week. But if that's the case, then you can put yourself in the place of the disciples pretty easily here. They'd had a long day. They'd been serving alongside Jesus. And, and did you notice? Whose idea was it to cross the lake? It was Jesus' idea. He said, all right, let's go to the other side. 
You know, I think it's fair to say that sometimes God actually is the one who leads us into the storm. Certainly that was the case here. Jesus was the one. Think about that. Jesus was the one who led them into the storm. Sure, it may not have been a storm when they left, but he's the one who led them to take off, and then the storm came. I mean, these guys were following. They're the disciples. the disciples. They're following Jesus. They're serving alongside him. Why did, how, how is it that they deserve uh, to follow him and then uh, be hit with this storm? Have you ever felt that? You know, you're following Jesus. You're doing your best to trust him and you're doing what do you believe that he's clearly called you to do and then boom, big storm. Again, you're not alone. You know, the disciples, as they get into this storm, were incredibly scared. And some of them, remember their professions? They were professional fishermen. They had fished on this lake their entire lives. Now, if they're scared of the storm, what's that tell you about the storm? Big storm. Crazy big storm. And even though the disciples had witnessed many miracles of Jesus, uh, they panicked in the middle of this storm. And at this point in the story, when we hear the disciples go after Jesus to wake him and they criticize and complain, then all of a sudden right here, there's a big shift in the story. Because not only were the disciples in the storm, the storm was in them. See, the problem isn't you and me being in the storm. Do you know what the problem is? It's when the storm gets inside of me, when the storm gets inside of you. I wonder, in the storm of this whole lockdown, of the, the, uh, this COVID-19 pandemic, in the storm of everything being shut down, maybe in the storm of losing your job, maybe in the storm of your job suddenly becoming something that, that you never signed up for, as you're going through this storm that you didn't create but that God has led us into because he's in control, Has the storm gotten inside of you? See, the problem isn't being in the storm. The problem is when the storm gets inside me. And in this case, the storm had gotten inside the disciples. Well, look how Jesus replies and responds to them. In verse 39, it says, And he woke, and he rebuked the wind, and he said to the sea, Peace, be Still, I imagine, I imagine that he uh, shouted that out to the wind and to the sea. And then look what happens. The wind ceased and there was a great calm. The lake just went calm. Imagine what that must have been like. Uh, See, the Greek word there for be still is the same word Mark uses to record Jesus telling demons to be silent in chapter 1. It's this word, uh, fimu. It's kind of fun to say. Why don't you just turn to somebody you're sitting next to you right now and say, fimu. Your kids are running around the house. You can't watch what's going on. Fimu. You can use that this week if you want, and you'll be very biblical. But Jesus (laughs) says that. He shouts that out into the storm, and suddenly everything gets quiet. Everything gets calm. And I imagine, like, think of those waves just going, and all of a sudden, in, in mid-crash, everything just whoosh, falls calm. 
and the only thing left moving on the lake is the rocking of the boats as they come to be still. And imagine all the other boats who are around with him. I wonder, did they hear Jesus shout out? What did they think when all of a sudden there was total calm and probably total silence? Jesus here is muzzling the storm. He's saying, he's just, he's like, put a lid on it. Be calm. And then he turns to the disciples. And I wonder how long he let the boat rock before he spoke to them. He said, why are you so afraid? Have you still no faith? You know, first Jesus addressed the wind and the sea and the storm. And now he addresses the disciples. Why are you so afraid? Literally, you could translate this. uh, Why are you being so cowardly? Why are you being such cowards? Where's where's your faith? Haven't, Haven't you learned to trust me yet? Jesus is often contrasting fear with faith. And it says in verse 41, then they were filled with great fear and they said to one another, who is this that even the wind and the sea obey him? They were filled with great fear. There's that great word again. The disciples were terrified and rightly so. Big storms, acts of nature, they can be unbelievably frightening. I remember when I was a little boy, we lived on the farm in Iowa, and uh, many times this time of year in the spring, we'd find ourselves down in the basement uh, because at least a couple times every spring, there was some kind of a big storm that would blow through uh, that would include a tornado and tornado warnings. But uh, one time I can vividly remember there was a tornado that hit the hog confinement building outside and it slammed the roof. It just peeled it up like a can of sardines and it slammed the top of that building up against the side of the house. Uh, my little uh, four-year-old legs were quaking. <laughs> the disciples were terrified Uh, there was a great wind and then there was a great calm. Then he says, great fear. And and Jesus is always contrasting fear with faith. What would you expect to come next? Great wind, great calm, great fear, great faith. But what does he actually say? What actually happens? Great wind, great calm, great fear, no faith. Great faith would be the right parallel, but Mark says no faith. The disciples were shocked at the fact that the winds and the sea obeyed Jesus, but they shouldn't have been. All the other miracles that they had seen him do and, and had and would witness. But you know, this was probably the first time one of those miracles affected them directly. When they needed uh, him to rescue them directly. And at that moment, he spoke and everything became calm. It had to make them think for a moment. Uh, The only other time I can think of someone just speaking and the wind and the waves and the sea obeying him uh, was in Genesis 1 when God spoke the world into existence. 
In Psalm 33, when it, we're, we're told that for he spoke and it came to be, uh, God commanded and everything stood firm. Well, Colossians tells us Jesus is the creator of all things, that nothing is outside of his control, that no matter how seemingly impossible and crazy it might be, he's still in control and he still can speak peace, even to you, even in the midst of, of the coronavirus, even in the midst of this storm, he can speak calm and peace. And in the midst of a great storm, he'll bring great calm and uh, rather than have great fear, he calls you and I to great faith. You know, as, as we think about applying this to our own lives, there's really two types of storms we, we enter into in our lives, right? Uh, First, the, the first that comes to mind are storms that I create. You know, I do something stupid. Uh, let's just use a really over-the-top example. I'm hungry, so I walk into the grocery store. I steal a candy bar. Uh, I created a pretty good storm for my life when the buzzer goes off as I walk out the door, right? Well, uh, that's one type of storm. But there's also storms like this one that God just leads us into. There's storms God leads me into. Well, for these first types of storms, what's the right response to a storm that I create in my life? It's to repent. It's to turn. It's to turn back to Jesus, to recognize that I'm wrong. That's the right response to a storm I create. But what about the storms that God leads me into that I had no control getting here? I, I just found myself here in this trial. How do I respond to that? Well, Jesus would say, where's your faith? Trust him. That's what you do with storms uh, that, that God leads you into is you trust Jesus. You trust him to bring you through. Now, if you're not careful though, in, in, even in these storms that God leads us into, if we don't uh, actively put our faith into action and trust Jesus and hold on to him through it, you know what happens? We respond uh, in our own way and the storm gets inside of us and now suddenly we start creating another storm that maybe we need to repent of and continue to trust Jesus through. Do you want an example of that? Uh, one guy who does that vividly is Jonah. And you know, there's a lot of parallels here between uh, Jesus calming the storm and the story of Jonah in the Old Testament. Think about it. Uh, in, in Mark, Jesus is sleeping in the boat. What's happening in Jonah when he gets on the boat on the Mediterranean Sea running away from God? Yeah, he's found sleeping. Uh, what happens while Jesus is asleep on the Lake of Galilee? A big storm comes up. What happens when Jonah, uh, running from God, uh, runs down to the bottom of the boat, falls asleep? What happens? A big storm comes up. Now, what do they do with Jesus in the middle of the storm? They wake him up and they're like, don't you care that we're perishing? Well, now look at the story of Jonah. You go back to Jonah. Uh, they're trying to figure out what is going on and they run down and they find Jonah and they find this guy asleep in the bottom of the boat while everybody else is scrambling. And, and they say, Jonah, don't, why don't you wake up? Why don't you care that we're perishing? Get up and help. There's so many parallels, but they are two radically different storms. The first one, uh, Jesus has led the disciples into and the right response is to trust him on the way through. But the storm in Jonah's life was one that he created. He was running from God. He wasn't trusting him. In fact, he had ran the entirely opposite direction of where God had told him to go. 
And he would get to the point where he would just say, fine, I would rather die than turn back and trust the Lord through this. And so they throw him overboard and then God swallows him with a fish. He gets thrown up on the shore and finally he follows him. Listen, the right response to storms I create is to repent. The right response to storms God leads me into is to trust Jesus. But the problem is, I don't know about about you, but I find myself incredibly messed up. And even in the midst of trying to trust Jesus, I, 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 I don't. And then I create storms of my own and I just make a mess of things as the storm gets inside of me. So in these cases, uh, how do you keep the storm from getting inside of you? How do you trust Jesus through the storm that he's led us into while not becoming like Jonah and just running from God and making a mess of everything? Well, let me give you two things. First off, friends, you need to go to Jesus. You need to go to him. Uh, You know, Jesus tells us in John 14, peace I leave with you, my peace I give you. Not as the world gives do I give you. Let not your hearts be troubled, neither let them be afraid. Jesus is often saying the opposite of fear of being afraid is what? Is, Is faith. In other words, trust me, Jesus says. Come to me. I'll give you peace. I'll give you rest. Friends, in the midst of all this, you need to go to Jesus. Uh, Maybe uh, you're, you're feeling that at a greater level than you ever have. All the uncertainty, all the things going on, you know you need to run to him. Uh, Paul tells the the church in Philippi to not be anxious about anything, but in everything, by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, to let their requests be made known to God. In other words, to go to Jesus, to trust him. And when they do, the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Friend, you, you can go to him through this. You can cast all your anxieties on him because he cares for you and he knows. Go to him. If you've trusted Jesus, go to him. If you've never trusted him, go to him. He's waiting for you to turn to him and his whole purpose in this for you may simply be that you finally give in and go to him. And then once you've gone to him, uh, it's not just this passive thing where I go to Jesus and then all of a sudden, you know, zippity doo dah, everything is great and wonderful and life goes on uh, fantastically. No, it, it doesn't work like that. There's actually some work for us to do after we trust Jesus, after we go to him. And part of that, if you're a follower of Jesus, is to guard your mind. Guard your mind. And what I would say is think on Jesus. Meditate on scripture. I, I, Consider what the the disciples said in this moment when Jesus calms the storm. Who is this? Have you asked that question? Who is this that, that even the wind and the sea and the waves obey him? That he simply speaks and there's calm. Have you considered who Jesus is? Think about Jesus. Think on him. Isaiah writes that the Lord keeps in perfect peace those who are stayed on him because he trusts in you. Do you need peace during these days? Do, do you need calm? Fix your mind on 
Jesus. Trust him. Think on him. Meditate on scripture. See, Paul talks about this in Colossians in his letter to that church. He says, let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts. Let it rule. To which indeed you were called in one body. And he says, be thankful. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly. You know, at the end of the passage I read earlier when we were talking about going to Jesus, Philippians 4, Paul says this in verse 8, Finally, brothers, whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is just, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is commendable, if there is any excellence, if there is anything worthy of praise, think about these things. Friend, to keep the storm from getting inside of you, and to trust Jesus through the storm that he's led us into? Uh, one, go to Jesus, and two, think on him a lot. Think about things that are right. Guard your mind. Turn off the news, especially if it's from one side of the political spectrum or the other. You're going to go crazy. Just turn it off. You're not going to miss anything. Instead, meditate on things that are right and lovely and pure. Think on Jesus. Turn to him and then think on him. Guard your mind. He'll bring peace. See, see, friends, uh, we find ourselves in the midst of a storm that we've just sailed into. None of us chose it. We're just here. And now we have the opportunity to trust Jesus through the storm. And even while the storm may feel uncertain and everything around us feels uncertain, we know the one who is certain. We know the one who's in control. We know the one who can stand up in the midst of it in the back of the boat and just yell, peace, be still. Maybe he needs to do that to your heart. I wonder, have, have you even trusted Jesus ever with your life? You know, uh, Paul tells us in Ephesians uh, chapter 2 that Jesus himself is our peace. That once uh, we were far off from him, but we've been brought near to God because of Christ's blood. See, the way Jesus brings peace is he, uh, he lived the perfect life that you and I couldn't. The storm never got inside of him. He never sinned. He never turned his back on what was true and what was right. And yet he paid the penalty for sin. He died on the cross in my place and in your place. And by doing that, he atoned for God's wrath. He was the propitiation for our sin. He took the punch of God's wrath for sin that I deserve. And when he did that, God's wrath was satisfied. And now all I need to do is simply look to him and believe upon him. And when I do that, he draws me near, and he is my peace. And then God looks at me and declares me to be righteous and clean and one of his children. Friend, have you ever allowed Jesus to be your peace? My guess is you may need peace more than any time in your life, and let me tell you, Jesus Christ can be your peace. He can speak to your life and say, peace, be calm. I'm going to pray. 
And if you've never trusted him and would like to, uh, I'll even uh, lead you through that. But let's, let's pray together now. Father, thank you for Jesus. Lord, thank you that Jesus is our peace, that he does speak calm into the storm and that he can speak calm into my heart and into the heart of, of, and life of, of everyone who would trust and turn to him. Uh, Lord, help us to trust him. Help us to go to him. Uh, help us to guard our minds and our hearts with your word and by thinking upon Jesus and uh, meditating on your word so that uh, we wouldn't create more storms in our lives. And Lord, I pray for my friends watching and listening who've never trusted you, who've, for whom you've never become their peace yet. Friend, if that's you, it's very simple. Uh, you can simply pray from your heart to Jesus and say, Jesus, I need you. I need you to draw me near. I repent of my sin, meaning I turn from trusting in myself and my own way of life. And Jesus, I turn to you. If you would simply pray something like that and, and ask Jesus to forgive you, to save you, tell him you believe upon him, you will be saved and he will be your peace. He promises and he never breaks a promise. Trust him. Father, thanks for Jesus. Uh, we love you. We trust you. We pray all this, Jesus, in your name. Amen. Hey, I'm praying for you this week. I'm thinking about you. Hang in there. Uh, look to Jesus. Go to him. Think upon him. He is the one who can speak peace in the midst of this storm. Hey, you are loved.